I'm so glad that you made it a priority to be able to come into the house where we might be able to focus, might praise God, might corporately pray and hear from God's Word. You know, we're in the middle of a study in the New Testament called James. And James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was both passionate and practical. In fact, he was so convinced after he came to faith that real faith produces boots on the ground. Literally, that real faith help us understand what life is all about and how to live life and how to experience abundance. You see, he came to faith, which is a little bit odd, after Jesus was resurrected. So James lived his whole life with his big brother being Jesus. Eventually, Jesus, well, left the household, gathered up some disciples, and, well, lived life with them for three years. James still wasn't a believer at this time, but he heard and hung around with Jesus. He was part of a Hebrew household, so he knew the Older Testament, especially spent time in Proverbs, which you'll find interesting in our message for today. But once James came to faith, once he saw the good news, once he recognized that Jesus was Messiah, that he came, that he died, that he was placed in a tomb, and that after three days was raised from the dead, (laughs) this ignited James. He quickly became part of the early church leadership team. He quickly became a pillar of the church. So James also understood that, well, if you were a follower of Jesus, it would be tough. There was some great persecution that was going on. And James knew the struggle and knew listening to Jesus was the answer. Jesus, or James saw that the early church was struggling with their faith and was driven by their emotions. They were driven by their fears and hamstrung because of their lack of faith. But James had an answer. He knew Jesus, and he knew what God's Word said. What a great combination. He knew at this moment that Jesus had come to bring the good news, well, the good news of the kingdom, that the king had arrived. Now, let's face it, James did have some advantages, okay? But he's on the same journey that you and I are on. He's learning from Jesus so that we might be able to live like Jesus. But in James, for the first three weeks that we've been in this book, you found that he has cut to the chase. He's mentioning that believers can have joy in the midst of trials and temptations. That circumstances don't have to dictate our joy. He shared that believers can have access to God's wisdom 
for the journey. And that because we know the Creator, that we can walk a path that will not only be fulfilling for us, but be able to give, well, hope for others. Last time we met, we found that believers have been graced to make a kingdom impact. James just bluntly spoke about money. He said basically that there's nothing that clearly reveals the state of a person's spiritual maturity than his view of money and possessions. James tells us that we, the rich, will be held accountable for our spending. Now those are three huge topics. Today. Today, James, again, does not pull any punches. Today, we're going to focus on our little, small tongue and the power of our words, because literally, James does. But let's pray. Let's pray before we open up the Word and uh, ask God just to teach us. Father, we come before you humbly. We recognize that you are creator God. We recognize that you spoke into existence our world. And somehow, God, we know that you are in control and in authority. We delight in you, Father. And yet there was a time in our lives when we didn't. We feared you. We were afraid of you. We were repelled by your holiness. But Father, we're growing. We're understanding who you are. And we recognize that your presence is critical in our lives. We know, Lord, that when you're there, the sickbed is softer. And we know, Father, when you're with us, all of the political angst that's going around, well, Father, we can bear. Lord, we know when you are with us that when there's disharmony in our home or at the office or on the compound, Father, you give us encouragement and strength and perspective. We ask you, Father, to come near. We know that there are folks right now who are weak, that are hurting, that are discouraged. Lord, they, they want to give up. They have come into your house maybe dragging, hardly making it. We pray as we worship, we pray as we sing, we pray, Father, as your word is given, that it would build them up, encourage them, and strengthen them. We ask you, dear Father, that you would take away any distractions that might, well, alter our understanding of what you want us to learn. Father, we pray that we would confess our sin the rebellion that happened in our souls so that we can be clean and hear what you want us to hear. We ask, Father, 
that the Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active today, that it would teach us and convict us and guide us and strengthen us. I pray, Lord, that you teach us even now how short life is. That you, Father, would um, help us understand that the breath that you give us, even if it be 70, 80, 90 years, is just like a morning fog. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes not only to your word, but, but to those people, to those who are hurting around us. We pray that we would see each and every day the divine appointments that you give us. The folks that we bump into. The people that you bring to mind. We pray, Lord, that we would respond I also ask you, Father, that, that we would grow in our understanding of you, understanding of your will, understanding of what you want us to accomplish. I pray, Father, we would grow in our generosity. I pray, Lord, we would grow in our convictions. And we pray, most of all, Father, that your kingdom would come that because we are in Fox Lake or Ingleside or wherever you send us, that people will be drawn to who you are. Lord, there's a lot of things that matter in our life. But I'm sensing that it is our tongue, our words, that will bring life or death, that our words will draw people to you, our Savior, or they will repel them from you. Lord, I, I feel a heaviness. I feel the responsibility is it's amazing. It's hard. But God, this is a privilege. We need you so badly. We need you to guide us. We need you to, to clean up our mouths. Because we can't. We pray for all those churches in this neighborhood and in our state and country and all over the world, that believers are gathering together, we would ask you, dear God, that you would equip them and encourage them and strengthen them so that we would be salt and light. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. If you would, would you turn your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Let me read it. If you claim, James writes, to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Now, as I grew up, 
and there are certain buzzwords that every one of us have, but, but for me, as I grew up, even as a young man, if someone asked me about my religion, don't have a religion. Ooh, okay, well, excuse me. Uh, let me say it a different way. Are you a man of faith? No, no, they would never do that. But religion to me always was this. This word, the major religions, how to, how to please God, how to appease God, what do I do? Do I, do I sacrifice? Do I, you know, I mean, how? and I, I, w- I was a little offended by the word of religion. And so James isn't actually, he offends us enough in his book, but, but he's not actually using this word trying to offend us. He's not. He's really just saying this. If you are religious, or if you say, and you start telling people, hey, you know what? I walk with God. I know the Lord Jesus. He is my God. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my Master. He is the King that I follow. If you're that kind of person, James says, if you're that person, and you can't control your tongue, you deceive yourself and your faith is worthless. Whoa, okay, James. What else would you like to say? You deceive yourself. I prayed there's a, there's a heaviness to this message. Because I think we deceive ourselves. I, I know I deceive myself. I, th- I think, again, I can mark all the checks in the boxes in my walk with God. And, and the tongue is, well, okay, well, you know, everybody blows it every once in a while, and that's true. But James is just saying this, when you walk with Jesus, your mouth's going to be different, that's all. It's going to be different. And basically, if you can't control it, maybe don't tell anybody that you're a God follower. That's all. Because your faith is worthless. If you're gossiping, if you're maligning, if you're ripping people apart, if you're using the Lord's name in vain, if you're angry, if you're spewing, if you're spitting stuff out, I'm not saying that you can't ask God for forgiveness because he, he grants it. It's amazing. But realistically, what we're going to see is James says, this is unthinkable. What are you, what are you doing? What's the deal? James is just saying, real faith. If you have a genuine connection with God, it just changes the way we talk. So let's, as, as you've seen already in this book, we're trying to go through chapter 1. We're hitting these little snippets. But then James goes all the way through the rest of his letter and continues to talk about the tongue or how we speak. So turn with me over to James chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. And if you would, you can follow the screen, look at your scriptures. But here we go. James chapter 3, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, 
for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. James starts off in a little bit of a peculiar way, but he, he talks about teachers. Teachers will be judged more strictly. Their words matter. Teachers are people in authority. Teachers are folks who are supposed to be, well, at least wrestling with the issues and teaching others how to do life, how to do math, how to do and fill in the blank. We all say, James says, things that are not kind and, and not truthful and even caustic. But teachers are held to a higher standard. As God grows all of us, we mature. He chips away the things that don't reflect Him very well. One of the things that He changes is our language. So as we become more like Jesus, we talk more like Jesus. As we spend time with Jesus, we notice how He responds and how he has great faith in his heavenly Father that he's going to judge, he's going to take all of the issues that we think need to be taken care of. And God will do that. You see, immaturity especially doesn't disqualify one for leadership, but it certainly shows more refinement is necessary. One of the things that I have done, even as a pastor, or as you look at staff people, or as you uh, interview folks for different jobs, one of the things I love to ask is, hey, tell me about your last employment. Tell me about your last job. Tell me about how you dealt with conflict. Tell me how you, and all of a sudden you, you hear, oh man, my boss, Attila the Hun, I am telling you, never could please that dude. And you go around, and he's lying, he deceives, and, and whoa, and it's a good thing I'm there. Bring some righteousness in this. I get it. But you know, we, we can learn so much how we talk about others. 
At least I learn about me that way. And, and what he, <laughs> he uses some, some really powerful illustrations. He says the tongue, if you look at your body, and you don't have to, but, but if you do, it, it's a rather small thing. It's all there is. But this little part of the body is powerful. Again, some of you know my history, but I had a chance for a few years to be able to be a wrangler up at Silver Birch Ranch. And one of the things that was critical in every ride was put the bridle and bit in. Now, I think there's other important things like a saddle and, and other things like that. But the most important, if you're really a good rider, all right, saddles don't matter. Uh, they don't. But you know what does? I have never, ever, ever seen, and maybe it, it, it's happened, where a horse was so obedient that it didn't need one of these guys, or at least a you know, Native American version of it or, or something. And what is this? What is this? This is a bit. It goes in the horse's mouth, and when you want that dude to stop, you pull back. As you pull back, this little thing goes right up in the roof of their mouth. Oh, you listen. Ah, okay, I, I get it. All right? There's another kind of bit. This one's a little more cruel. All right? But what happens here, again, it goes in, and as you pull back, this thing goes, digs right into the mouth. Now you've got some other animals that are a little bit more obstinate, and you would put a bit and a hackamore on. So it would hurt their mouth and also cut their or restrict their breathing. So listen, horse, if you're not going to listen to me, you're not going to be able to breathe and your mouth is really going to hurt. But this is a little thing. These are thousand-pound animals, multi-thousand pounds, but it controls it. What about a ship? This is a fine vessel, isn't it? You know, it is an amazing ship. And most of you may not be able to see it, but this little thing right here, this little white thing way there, called rudder. This, this little thing steers this big ship. Cool. It's cool. And then the fire. Some of y'all like fire, but, but again, rather than a spark, I'll just use a match. Here, here it is. This is really small, okay? We light it. Very, very small. Little thing, all right? But what happens in California especially? If one of these little things, do that before danger happens, hits all the kindling. Oh, my word. It blazes. All these things are so little. They're so little, but they're so powerful. And James is just saying, this thing is so little, but so powerful. And then he goes and says this, and, and we all know, but the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. And I, again, don't know of of how many times we have heard about these massive forest fires. And you look at, at this, 
And you even just wonder, yes, you need rain, you need all kinds of other things to put these babies out, but it all started with a little open flame. And when you're done, it is charred. Homes in the way, boom, no more. Charred. Everything gone. And you say, only because of this? Only because someone was a little casual, only someone didn't, well, they, they thought they put out the fire. You go, whoa. How do you fix that damage? Does it take a year? Five years? There was a giant Peshtigo fire. The same time the Chicago fire happened up in the Silver Birch area. There are still charred trees in that forest from the Peshtigo fire. Oh, my word. Now, yeah, some things have grown up and you don't see all of it, but all I'm saying is the tongue. It can do some amazing damage. And then James says this. I just want you to know you can't tame the tongue. You can't do this in your own power. It's not like any fish or bird or reptile or or animal the tongue is untamable. In fact, I think what he's trying to share with each one of us is this. If you try to speak better and kinder and grace others, you're going to fail. The tongue is the litmus test of us being in fellowship with God. How we approach others. It should be a big banner that says, hey, wait a minute. Maybe you're in sin right now. You're not listening to me. You're not walking with me. There must be something in your life that's out of control. Confess it. Get back into fellowship. Walk by means of the Spirit. Listen to me. Now, all of us, as we grow up in life, there are certain things we know that are red flags for us. And if we click on a certain web page, or if we drink a certain substance, or if we, and you can fill in the blank, the spiral downward is drastic. What James is saying is this. The tongue tells us whether we're walking with God or not. It shows us how dependent we are on God because we can't do it ourselves. I personally feel that it's the tongue sins that I repent of the most. It's not like I don't sin in any other area. But over and over and over, it's an attitude. It's a snide remark. It's a tone. And you find yourself God, I need you. I need you. The names are now protected as I share a story. You cannot figure this person out. But I want you to know one thing. It happened a few weeks ago for me. And I've certainly um, needed to confess before, uh, I mean, after that. But it happened right in our lobby. And I was chatting with this person, male or female, no one knows. 
And this person said something to me. And I got to be honest, and we have talked about it. It was, it was one of those things where, oh man, I could eat you up right now. All right. It, it was um, a statement that was said innocently. But you know, we all say those things and we love to jump on people for them, right? Make them feel stupid. Make, uh, whatever it is. All right. Oh, I was in prime. I let this person have it. With a smile, of course. And went on and talked to the various other people that were in the lobby. Whoa. <laughs> that one didn't go away. It didn't go away at night. And I got up and the first thing I thought about Monday morning. And I connected with this person. And this person was a little surprised. Mostly because, well, I I didn't sense that. I thought you were doing this and I thought you were joking. It wasn't a big deal. And I just said this to this person. This is very difficult to say. All right. Um... I actually almost didn't apologize for your sake. I did for my sake. And I know it was wrong. And God has been relentless until I confessed my sin to him and to you. You know, it's so easy to be cruel, demeaning, hurtful, septic, caustic, judgmental, sarcastic. Anything but life-giving. Our words put us in a camp of the wise or the fool. You know, the Proverbs is filled with little bits of advice that come from God himself through the pen of Solomon for the most part. The wisest of all Though uh, all the people who have ever lived. Here's some things that Solomon writes. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Verse 21, the words of the godly encourage many. Chapter 12, verse 18. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Chapter 16, verse 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue can bring death or life. And I sat there. I have the power to bring death or life in my household. To bring death or life in a community, at a job site, in an office, in a family gathering, in a, and you just fill it out. I have the opportunity to bring life 
if I'm walking with God, I will not be focused on myself. I will be focused on the good of others. It's so different. In a paragraph that James focuses on judging others, it's James chapter 4, verse 11. He says this, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. Don't speak evil. James knew the power of our words. We all have the, uh, the kids rhyme or, or have even said it or tried to say it. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You all know that's not true. I know it's not true. You normally say that because someone called you a big oof or oaf or, you know, slowpoke or other, you know, really nice names on the playground. And so you spit it out really fast because you got it. <laughs> Sticks and stones can break my bones on your words. I'll never hurt me. And then you go and you, you think about those words. You know, it doesn't get better when you grow up because someone could have said something in the office or your wife could have mentioned something to you or your husband or your kid and it weighs on you. And yes, you can speak truth. And yes, you can, you can wrestle with that. But words really can hurt. So James says, don't speak evil. Don't bring death. Bring life. Don't speak poorly. Don't put people in bad light. We do that really well, don't we? We, we kind of change a story so that we look better than we really are, or we make them look like a doofus. I'm not sure that's a word, but we'll use it. Maligning, gossiping. Well, I'm just telling the truth. (laughs) Don't speak evil, dear brothers and sisters about your church, about your community, about your family. We must repent. It's wrong. It's interesting what the psalmist writes. If you go to Psalm 34, there's four verses, starting in verse 11. The psalmist writes this. This is great four verses. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anybody want to live a life that is long and prosperous? So again, the the psalmist is gathering some folks around and saying, hey, you know what, gather around me. I I, I want to be able to help you understand um, really what's important. I'm going to teach you to fear God, to respect God, to recognize that God is going to do what he tells us he's going to do. Now, do you want to live a long life, a prosperous life, a life that's fulfilling? And, and you know, you're at the edge of your seat saying, yeah, 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 come on, man, give it to me. Well, okay, we got it. Verses 13 and 14, Psalm 34. Then, first thing, first thing, you want a long and prosperous life? Then, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. 
You know, I'm going to wrap up the message now. And it might take a little bit longer of a wrap-up, but what I want to focus on, the very last part of this message, is found in the book of Ephesians. Right before James, we finished this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. I love the book of Ephesians. Because what Paul does is literally pour his heart out and say, do you understand who you are as a believer? And do you understand that you're part of the church? And this is what God has chosen to be able to move the kingdom forward. I can be part of your plan, God. You've made me a son because of my faith, not because of any good things I've done. And I get to join you on your mission. God, this is so amazing. And so in Ephesians, Paul talks about the church, what it looks like, and about living as children of light. In other words, as you walk with God, as you stay connected with God, as you are spirit-led, you will and I will live my life so drastically different than anybody that does not know Jesus. Our behavior will stick out. It will. So how we treat others, how we talk about others, how we care for others, It's going to be so abnormal because God's changing us from the inside out. So in chapter 4, verse 29, which we spent some time on just a few weeks back, but it's hard not to end on this again. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He says, all of you who are children of light, all of you who are walking with God, all of you who are living by means of the Spirit, all these things, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear him or hear them. And I just stopped. And I saw, let every word. It it wasn't, let the words that you say in church. Let the words that you say, but, but every, every word, Paul says. He said, every word, may it be good and helpful and encouraging. That it would be good and helpful and encouraging. And I stopped there. And I tried to just reflect the last 15 minutes. The last day, the last week, how quickly sarcasm came, or how quickly that cutting remark. 
And I wasn't depressed after this. You probably think I should have been. But what it made me realize again is, I am so dependent on you, Jesus. I am so dependent on you, Jesus. Because I cannot do this. Just like James said, I can't control this. I can't do this. I need you. And if you are going to use me as one of your, well, ambassadors, I'm going to need you because I don't naturally talk like that. I don't, Lord. Change me. Give me your grace. Every time something comes out that is not good and helpful and encouraging. Lord, how many people do I have to call and repent? What's it going to be like in the car ride home? Who who do I have to text even now? What have I said? How have I hurt? So where do you, where do you go from here? What what do you do? If you know Jesus, if you're part of his family, there's great hope. Because you came to a place where you saw Jesus on the cross, where the blood was shed, and he cleansed you. And you become part of his family. And so you begin to walk with him. But as you walk with him, he chips away attitudes and words and vocabulary. Does it happen immediately? You know, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. God God just miraculously takes it away. But most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time it's, it's walking with God and hanging in community and reminding each other of the truth and the abundant life that each one of us can enjoy. So where do you go from here? I think you go with wings. You go understanding that you have great privilege and great honor and great opportunity to be salt and light. But also recognize that it only takes a few seconds to be able to try to live our lives on our own power in our own way. And one of the ways, and by the way, this isn't for you to tell someone, I don't think, but it's one of the ways you will find out, is how you respond to people. How you talk. My prayer is that not only your pastor, but that each one of us walk with God. So Rick, wouldn't it be nice if we all, yeah, but... We need to walk with God. We need to confess our sin relentlessly and ruthlessly. 
We need to listen to his promptings. We need to be able to let God change the way we think and the way we talk. And he will receive great glory. Wouldn't it be amazing? And again, by me saying this, I'm not saying it's not happening. But wouldn't it be amazing that anybody who walks in these doors, it's the place where your tires are pumped. It's a place that you are encouraged. Oh, that would be cool. That would be wonderful. There are times when you have hard conversations. There are times that that you cannot applaud lifestyles or sin. But the way that you use your words is still good and helpful. And that's what happens when we walk with God. Let's pray. Father, once again, we... uh, These are hard words. We know the tongue is so little. Yet we also have grown up in a culture, Lord, where where we're applauded when we stick up for ourselves. It's okay to, in the name of righteousness, rip apart people and rip apart thoughts. But God, I, I don't think... That is what you're asking us to do. Change us from the inside, Lord. As we spend time with you, teach us how to live. Teach us how to grace others. Be merciful like you, Jesus. And change this world through us. Through your people, through your kids. We would ask that, Jesus. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.